Thank you all for being here on this. Uh, Maria called it Christmas Eve Eve. I had a friend who called it Christmas Adam. <laughs> it's the Adam and Eve thing. It's not very funny, but I just... Uh, <laughs> but, uh, but welcome, and uh, we do hope to see many of you and many others on Christmas Eve, actually, in this place and in the parish hall next door. It's going to be a great day. Today's been a good day. Thank you for making it that way. Our scripture lesson, there are two lessons listed. The gospel lesson from Luke, I'm going to read a little later on, not too much later, but a little later on. But our Psalm 23, I want you to turn with me, if you will, in your hymnal to page 137. Psalm 23 in the King James Version, the version that many of us learned when we were much younger, is there. We're not going to use any of the musical responses, but you may remain seated and just read this psalm with me responsively, if you will. Page 137. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil, my cup runneth over. This is the word of God for the people of God. On this Sunday, the fourth Sunday in Advent, I want to continue the series of messages that we've been talking about and praying about and working with for several weeks now. What the baby saw, who were these faces around the manger and later in the temple and later still in the house where the Holy Family had come to reside on the first Sunday in Advent, we talked about the first face around the manger that the baby probably saw Mary, the chosen one of God, for a special task. On the second Sunday in Advent, we talked about Joseph, a man of honor and integrity who was the earthly father of our Lord. Last Sunday, the third Sunday in Advent, we talked for just a short while about the creatures in the stable, the, the critters that surrounded the manger where the baby was. And what the animals must have thought about these people who had invaded their space, this holy family. On Christmas Eve, tomorrow, we're going to talk about the angels who are a part of this story, faces around the manger and in the sky. The Sunday after Christmas, a week from today, we'll talk about Simeon and Anna and what the baby saw in the faces of these two older folks who had been waiting in the temple for so long for God's great revelation. And then two weeks from today, on January the 6th, is the day of Epiphany. And we'll talk about the wise ones, the three kings, as some refer to them as, who came to the house where the babe and his family had taken up residence. Today, I want us to spend a little time talking about what do we need with a shepherd. And then I want us to overhear a portion of a conversation 
between two shepherds who were in the fields on that holy night so long ago. So let me begin with a question. How long has it been since any of you, any of us, have seen an honest-to-goodness shepherd? How many of us have been witness to that unique relationship that exists between shepherd and sheep? I'm not sure I would recognize a shepherd if I were to be standing in line behind one at Walmart. I believe I would know a sheep if I saw one. I've never seen too many of them up close, but I think I would recognize a sheep. The Bible was written and put together in a day when a rural agricultural lifestyle was dominant. And people who would be hearing and reading these texts in those early days would have said, sure, I know exactly what this writer is talking about. It all makes sense to me. I can picture that. I can see it. I can experience it. The biblical writers knew that they could refer to shepherd and sheep, and people would say, I get that. That's part of my life. I see it every day. So the scriptures are full of, in Old and New Testament, full of references to shepherds and sheep. And let me lift up a few of those, and and you're probably going to say, well, how about this one and how about that one? There are too many to cover them all, but one of them goes way back to Exodus chapter 3 and verse 3. Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian, and he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. The writer's sure that the readers would be able to picture the geographical features that are being described here and the movement of the shepherd and the sheep across that rugged terrain. It's a, an amazing sight, I imagine, if we could actually picture that. And then in Jeremiah 31.10, the prophet proclaims, Hear the word of the Lord, O nations, and declare it to the coastlands far off. Say, he who scattered Israel will gather them as a shepherd gathers the flock. And then there's the word of the Lord as it came to the prophet Ezekiel. So they were scattered because there was no shepherd. And they were food for the wild beasts. My sheep were scattered. They wandered all over the hills. My sheep were scattered over all the face of the earth with none to seek them, none to search for them. And I will set over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he shall feed them and be their shepherd. Recall that before he was anointed by the prophet Samuel to be the king of Israel, the one who would succeed King Saul, who had stumbled and fallen, that David was a shepherd boy. And remember that most folks think that David was the author, the writer of the 23rd Psalm, the shepherd psalm that we read together just a few moments ago. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And then there's a very difficult passage This one's in a book that maybe we don't read or stumble across as often. Zechariah, Zechariah 13, 7. Awake, O sword, against my shepherd, against the one who stands next to me, says the Lord of hosts. Strike the shepherd and the sheep may be scattered. And it's been said that when Jesus was crucified, that his disciples were running in every direction, much like sheep without a shepherd. Interestingly enough, there's an incident recorded in the Gospels where Jesus is confronted with a great multitude, a great, we call it maybe a mob of people. 
And I think, well, what would our reaction be when we see moms of people together for whatever reason? What's our first reaction? Sometimes we're a bit harsh and a bit judgmental. And Jesus looked out upon this group and had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. The shepherd, is it an image or a concept that has become obsolete in 2018, 2019, soon? Isn't it long past time that the shepherd be put in a museum surrounded by Edsel's and dinosaur bones and front doors that had no locks on them because they needed no locks on them and eight-track tape players and all kinds of other things? That's where shepherds belong, isn't it? At one time, shepherds served a useful purpose. They would move sheep from one place to another. The shepherd would make sure the sheep had plenty to eat and plenty to drink. The shepherd saw to it that the sheep would be rested when they had grown weary. The shepherd would risk his or her life to keep the sheep out of danger. And the shepherd was a constant companion so that the sheep were never alone. But that was then, and this is now, and what do we need with a shepherd? For someone to say that you and I need a shepherd would be to imply that sometimes we lose our way in this life. What a silly notion that is, that one of us could ever be lost. Yogi Berra, philosopher, theologian, baseball player and manager once said, if you don't know where you're going, you might end up somewhere else. <laughs> but all of us always know exactly where we're going, don't we? we don't, we've never missed an exit on the freeway of life. Anybody ever missed their exit? We don't misread street signs. We don't take wrong turns, do we? All of us can read a GPS, and some of us can even read a map. School, career, marriage, family, faith, left to our own devices, we'll always come out okay when we will always do the right thing and make the right choices. After all, the choices are clear and the roads are well marked and we know where they lead. It's not like life ever gets confusing or complicated or stress-filled, does it? Or heavy. <laughs> what do we need with the shepherd? For someone to say that we need a shepherd, that you do, that I do, would be to imply that sometimes we hunger and thirst for meaning and fulfillment and purpose in our lives. The choices are clear after all, aren't they? Who would believe that we ever need those things? If that kind of thinking caught on, folks might get the idea, the misleading idea, that though outwardly we appear to be, quote, fat and sassy inwardly, we're empty and we're lonely and we're hurting. For someone to say that you and I need a shepherd would be to imply that sometimes we grow tired and weary. And that's nonsense, isn't it? Life's not going to whip us. We have within ourselves an endless supply, a bottomless reservoir of strength and determination. We're in control, and if our energy level were any higher, it'd be off the scale. Pressure at school, pressure at work, pressure at home. Weaker individuals bend or break or prod themselves up with mind-altering substances, but not us. No, sir, no, ma'am. Plenty of time to do everything we need to do. Never too tired to do it. What do we need with a shepherd? 
For someone to say that you and I need a shepherd would be to imply that sometimes we wander into danger unaware. Says who? We know what we're doing. We can walk through minefields barefoot without setting off as much as a roll of caps. We've got it all figured out. We're invincible. It, it being danger, won't come near us. And we're too intelligent to go near anything dangerous. Destructive relationships, undisciplined lifestyles physically, emotionally, and spiritually, greed and pride. There's no danger in any of these things for us, is there? We've learned to pick the roses and avoid the thorns. What do we need with the shepherd? For someone to say that you and I need a shepherd would be to imply that sometimes we're lonely. Who are they kidding? Rugged individuals don't experience loneliness. We don't need other people, do we? We don't need divine assistance and companionship. We don't need the promise of some God that that God is always with us. We have our poetry and our music and all kinds of other things to defend us, to protect us. We are rocks. We are islands. Rocks feel no pain and islands never cry. Maybe we've lost the most significant person in our life to divorce or death. We've walked through the valley of the shadow or one day we will. Maybe we've had to give up other significant persons and relationships in our life, but that's all right. We're tough. We can cope. We can turn up the volume of the music. We can crank up the noise from the television. We're not afraid of being by ourselves, are we? What do we need with a shepherd? About 2,000 years ago, give or take a century or two, a long way from here on the outskirts of a small town, there were shepherds in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. How many shepherds, how many sheep, no one seems to know. Shepherds. If there was an economic ladder in those days, and there was, there always has been, and suppose there always will be, shepherds would have occupied the bottom rung of that ladder. It's not like young parents would gather around a cup of coffee at Starbucks and say things like, well, I sure do hope little Earl or Earlene grows up to be a sheep herder. <laughs> No, no, no. Shepherding did not require a framed sheepskin on the wall of a goat hair tent, so to speak. And yes, women could be shepherds and often were in biblical days and still. Shepherds were normally not members of a country club. They didn't spend too much time fretting about the stock market. The only gates they worried about were not at the entrances to their exclusive subdivisions, but the gaps in the sheepfold where often the shepherd would lie in the gap or sit in the gap or stand in the gap and make sure the sheep stayed in and the predator stayed out. And for someone, a shepherd, to say in the day, I am the gate, would not have been an unusual expression. People would have heard that many times. Shepherds could be difficult to track. Their names would not likely appear on a voter registration list. They kept them off jury duty, but they were hard to find. 
permanent mailing addresses were not that common when it concerned shepherds. Third goat hair tent on the left, over the river and through the woods to grandmother's house we go, to the left of the mountain, somewhere in the wilderness, was about as close as it got when you wanted to track one of these shepherds who wandered from place to place with the flock. When the movers and shakers got ready to move and shake, they very seldom sent their pollsters out to Shepherdville. They didn't really care what the shepherds thought. They didn't know what the shepherd population was thinking and didn't care. The opinions of the residents of Shepherdville were about as useful to them as a screen door on a submarine. And then there was this matter of personal hygiene. Shepherding was dirty work. Dirty work. And running water, especially running warm water and soap, were unimaginable luxuries. The children would often deride one another with that little saying that ended like this, you look like a shepherd and smell like one too. There were shepherds living in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. Two of these ever how many shepherds were named Jim and Bob. And I overheard them talking. And Bob says, Jim, tell me again, how long have you been in the shepherding business? I think this night air must be affecting my memory. I can't remember, can't recall exactly. And Jim said, I hear you, shepherding ain't for wimps. I reckon I've been doing this about 28, 29 years. If I had a real job, I'd be getting my 30-year pen pretty soon. That's a long time, Jim. A lot of folks don't live that long back in these days. In all that time, most of it's been on the night shift, right? In all that time, did you ever see anything weird or unusual or strange out here, out here in the fields? (laughs) Who are you kidding, Bob? There is absolutely nothing new under the stars, Nothing new out here. Same old, same old, same old. The stars, they seem to stay in their same places. And and me, I I stay in my place. I know my place. And the sheep, well, they're just going to be sheep. It's their sheepishness, I suppose. They just can't help it. Bob said, I'm with you on that. Most of these four-legged creatures just don't seem to have much sense, do they? noses to the ground, moving from one patch of ground to another, and first thing you know, they've wandered off and they're lost and can't find their way back home. Lost as can be. Yeah, Bob, I know it. And with all these predators that we have in these parts, if a sheep wanders off too far from the flock or from from you and me, they might as well have a target painted on their side. Dinner in the den, the lion's den. Without the likes of us, these little guys wouldn't have a ghost of a chance out here, would they? Nope. Whole flock would be gone in no time. Jim, you think sheep consider us as their protectors, or are we just out here to crash the party, just out here to hamper their lifestyles? I don't know, Bob. But by the way they act, I think they know our voices. I think they recognize us, and I tend to think that in their own sheepish ways, they do appreciate us. Maybe even they can tell the the difference between those of us who see this as a job and those of us who really care 
for the sheep. Bob says, maybe I was wrong. Maybe they really do know more than I've given them credit for. Anyhow, I know that as time goes by, I get more attached to this flock. I believe that if I had to, I could give up my life to save theirs. You're good at what you do, Bob. You got the heart for it. Oh, yeah, did I tell you about a little trip I took the other day? No, no, what kind of trip are you talking about? He said, well, I kind of went wandering in my mind. My wife says that would have been a short trip. (laughs) Got to thinking, Bob, do people need shepherds, same as sheep do? Maybe even more, what do you think? Jim, you never cease to amaze me. That's a really profound, thoughtful question that you ask. An important point worth pondering on and pontificating about. Do we need a shepherd? My final answer is the same as my initial response, yes. Yes, we need a shepherd. Let's face it. We are prone to wonder with our noses to the ground or our noses to the grindstone until we end up lost and a long way from home. We're vulnerable to all kinds of predators, bitterness and jealousy and anger and hatred and disease and death. I know that's right, Bob, but where on earth are you ever going to find somebody to undertake such an undertaking? That somebody would have to be willing and able to confront and to comfort have unheard of patience and stamina. Someone would have to understand us like we understand these sheep from the inside out. Never heard of anybody like that, have you? Me either, except when I was little. I do remember some well-to-do kids down at synagogue school used to talk about a little poem they had learned something about the Lord is my shepherd I shall not want. Them's pretty words, okay. But if a shepherd was going to shepherd this shepherd, I'd want someone with some skin on him. Somebody who was willing to die for me, give it all up for me. Someone as willing to die for me as I'm willing to die for all of these sheep. Where would you look for that kind of a shepherd? From Luke chapter 2 and beginning with verse 8. In that region there were shepherds living in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. Then an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for see, I am bringing you good news of great joy for all the people. To you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign for you. You will find a child wrapped in bands of cloth and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace among those whom he favors. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go now to Bethlehem and see this thing that has taken place, which the Lord has made known to us. So they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the child lying in the manger. When they saw this, they made known what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds 
had told them. Bob and Jim are on their way back to the fields. And Jim said to Bob, what did you see when you looked into that manger? Bob said, what do you mean, what did I see? I saw a boy, a precious baby boy. That's what I saw. What did you see? And Jim said, I saw, I'm pretty sure I saw one of us. Could it be that the next face the baby saw after Mary and Joseph and the gentle creatures was the face of a shepherd? The face of one who understood unconditional love and great sacrifice. For the babe, was it like looking in a mirror? When the risen and living Christ, the good shepherd, looks into our faces, does he see folks who can love unconditionally and give generously? Are our faces becoming mirror images of the good shepherd? Amen.